0: praise the lord everybody it has it has been a tremendous blessing and a privilege to have been here uh, with this church and your pastor over the last three days or so and uh, we are so thankful uh, for the opportunity to have been here i uh... Want this church to know that I love your pastor, and uh, it has been a <clears throat> personal blessing uh, to me to have uh, spent the time that I've been able to spend with him in this trip. From conversation today, I will be taking home um, uh, a word I believe from the Lord that the, the Lord used your pastor. To bring up in conversation today That really inspired my mind And uh, I want him to know that I'm thankful for that And uh, his wonderful wife prepared such a uh, excellent meal for us before service And I just thought any minute the Lord was going to show up and eat with us It was so good And uh, their sons and their uh, daughter The entire family has been so very hospitable Uh, to us and we are thankful for that we're also very have been very honored and blessed to meet bishop Heyman and his beautiful wife and uh, thank god for that opportunity i also want to say to this church that i've traveled in 47 states traveled in i think eight or nine countries i've preached in somewhere around 200 churches and uh, i want you to know that this church is a pleasure to preach to. You have been a wonderful, wonderful audience to uh, preach to so easy and open, receptive and responsive to the word of the Lord. And uh, I want you to know that I've been blessed to be able to preach to you as a congregation. I've enjoyed all the worship and the music and everything here this weekend has been excellent. Amen. Your leadership here is, is just classy and thank God for that. Hallelujah. Um, I, I don't know how this is going to come out tonight, uh, but I'm going, I'm going to start it um, at a rather um, teaching pace and uh, we'll just see where it goes from there. We're going to talk from Isaiah chapter 43, verses 10 through 11. Isaiah chapter 43, uh, verses 10 and 11. Isaiah says, ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servants, whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he, And before me there was no God formed. Neither shall there be after me. Jehovah says, I, even I, am the Lord. And beside me there is no Savior. As you notice, the word Lord here in verses 10 and 11 are in all caps, which indicates the Hebrew word uh, Yahweh or jehovah so jehovah says in isaiah 43 and 10 that ye are my witnesses jehovah said you are my witnesses i'm going to uh, talk to you this this evening for a little while on this subject i am a jehovah's witness i am a jehovah's witness i know that the church sign says "Calvary Apostolic," but um, tonight it's a Jehovah Witness church. Amen. Why don't we lift our hands to the Lord and ask God to help us? You, God, in the name of Jesus, I give you praise. I give you glory. I give you honor. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you Jesus. Thank you for your word and your presence. Hallelujah. 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 hallelujah, hallelujah. God, you are so wonderful. God, you are so mighty. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, why don't we praise him with a hand clap before we're seated? Hallelujah You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. The man, Jesus, has, has been a polarizing figure ever since his birth. From the birth of Christ until now, there have been a myriad of different opinions and ideas. Concerning the identity of Jesus Christ. The question of Christ's identity was something of importance in his own mind. Matthew twenty-two forty-one 41 and 42a says that while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What think ye of Christ? whose son is he? So Jesus asked the Pharisees concerning himself, what do you think about me? Matthew 16 and verse 13, the Bible says that when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say thou art John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? I like this contrast here. Jesus said, Who do men say that I am? And of course when they responded with who men said he was, obviously they got the answer incorrect. And so Jesus backs up and rephrases the question and says, But whom do ye say that I am? And it was at this point that Simon Peter responded and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Of course, Jesus says to him, You are right, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood I have not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. The point of this little dialogue that Jesus has with his disciples is this. That who men say he is and who we say he is has always been two different things. How many glad you know who Jesus is? Hallelujah. The revelation of who Jesus is is not an insignificant revelation. John 17 and 3, Jesus said in his priestly prayer that this is eternal life, that they may know thee the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Jesus ascribed To the knowledge of the true God, the importance of eternal life. In other words, it is essential to eternal life to know the true God. It is not of insignificance, the identity and the personage of the Lord Jesus Christ. John 8 and 24, Jesus said, I say therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins... For if you believe not that I am He, you shall die in your sins. So that the revelation of who Jesus is, is fundamental and paramount to our relationship with God. You cannot truly have a real Bible-based salvation without this fundamental revelation. That's the reason why Jesus says that hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Jesus said this is the first commandment. Now when Jesus said it's the first commandment, he doesn't mean chronologically. He doesn't mean it's the first in a chronological sequence of one, two, three. For there were commandments that was given before hero Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. So when he says that hero Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord is the first commandment. He doesn't mean it in the chronological sense, but rather in the hierarchical sense. That it is first in the order of importance. Or as one of the gospel writers says, it is the greatest Of all commandments. The fundamental revelation to Christianity. Begins with the identity of Jesus Christ. It begins and ends with who Jesus is. In our text. In Isaiah chapter 43. And verse number 10. We have listed here. Three dimensions of revelation. In relationship to the Lord. He said, Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servants whom I have chosen, that first of all, that ye may know, secondly, that ye may believe, and thirdly, that ye may understand that I, even I, am He. And before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after. Hallelujah. How many glad that you have knowledge That there is no God beside the Lord. That there is none before Him and there is none after Him. Do you have that knowledge tonight? But can I suggest to you today that the knowledge of the revelation of one God is not sufficient. There is a revelation, there is a dimension of revelation that goes beyond mere knowledge that God wants you to get a hold of in relationship to the identity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only that ye may know, he said, I don't want you just to know, but I want you to believe, that ye may know and believe Because not everything I have knowledge of do I believe. There's a difference in knowing and believing. I know that when I get on that plane tomorrow, that tons of metal and luggage and humanity is going to take off in the air and is going to fly like a bird. I don't understand how it happens I don't understand how those small wings support the body mass of that airline and everything that is contained in it. But I do believe that when I get on there, it's going to fly. So there's a difference between knowledge and belief. So you need to do more than just have knowledge of the oneness of God. At some point, you must mix your faith with it. I wonder if I got anybody in here tonight that believes that there is no God before Him. Neither shall there be after Him. Now, not only is it important for you to know and believe, but it is also important that you understand. Not everything that I know, not everything I believe do I understand. There's a difference between knowing something. There's a difference between believing something. And there's a difference between understanding it. I believe when I flip a light switch that the lights are going to come on but i don't understand all the dynamics of how electricity works i just don't have the ability to or, or the knowledge and the understanding of it so there is a difference in knowing and believing and there is a difference between believing and understanding you cannot simply simply satisfy yourself to believe that there's one god at some point you have to get it in your understanding the importance of understanding this is simple Matthew 13 and 19 said when anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not then cometh the wicked one and stilleth the way that which was sown in his heart this is he which receiveth seed by the wayside They had knowledge of the word because they heard it. They believed it because it was sown in their heart. But because they did not understand it, the wicked one was able to take it out of their heart. So it is important tonight, ladies and gentlemen, that you go beyond merely knowing and believing the truth. At some point, you've got to get an understanding because the only protection that truth has in your life or the only protected truth in your life is not what you know. It is not what you believe, but it is what you understand. Because when Jesus said, The good ground is this when a man heareth the word and understandeth it. That's the good ground. (laughs) Hallelujah. You got to get an understanding in your life. Now, the oneness of God to me is simple, it could not be any plainer, any more plain, or any clearer. Than the way that God has laid it out in Scripture. The Bible plainly says, in exactly these words, there is one God. Malachi 2.10 says, Have we not all one Father, and have not one God created us all? Mark 12.32, and the scribes said unto him, well, Master, thou hast said the truth. For there is one God and none other but He. Romans three and thirty says, "Seeing it is one God, the or seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and the uncircumcision through faith." First Corinthians eight six says, "But unto us there is but one God." The Father. First Timothy 2 and verse 5 says, There is one God and one mediator between God and men. The man Christ Jesus. James 2.19 says, Thou believest there is one God. Thou doest well. For the devils also believe and uh, tremble. So, the Bible makes it very clear without any ambiguity that there is But one God. How many is God? There is but one God. If that is all God would have said in his self-revelation... That would have been sufficient enough for us to believe what we believe about the oneness of God. But God extended it beyond that by saying in Deuteronomy 32 39, see it now that I even I am he and there is no God with me. Second Chronicles 2 5, and the house which I build for is great, for great is our God above all. God's. Isaiah 43 10 says that there is none before me and there was no God formed neither shall there be after me. Isaiah 44 24 says thus saith the Lord thy Redeemer and he that formed thee from the womb I am the Lord that maketh all things that stretcheth forth the heavens alone and that spreadeth abroad the earth by myself. Isaiah 45 and 6 says and that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord and there is none else. Isaiah 46 and 9. Remember the former things of old for I am God and there is none else. I am the Lord and there is none like me. So So not only does the Bible say there's one God but the one God said there's none with me none above me none before me none after me I'm alone I'm by myself there's none beside me there's none else and there is none like me. If God had intended on conveying the revelation of the oneness of God how could He have done it any plainer or any clearer than that? If that's all God had said, it would have been sufficient. (laughs) But that's not all he said. For the Bible said in Deuteronomy 6 and verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Now, our God is one Lord. Now get this in Galatians 3 and verse 20. Galatians 3 and 20 said, Now a mediator is not a mediator of one. But God is one. Now, there is one God tells me how many gods there are. But God is one tells me how many God is. So, not only is there one God, but God is one. Now, Trinitarians, even then in their own self professed documents, proclaim exactly that they believe there is one God. You ask any educated Trinitarian how many gods they believe in, they say they believe there's only one God. They never profess. To believe that there are three gods. No Trinitarian will say that. But the difference between us and them... Is while they believe... They say that there is one God... They say the one God... Is three separate and distinct beings. So when a Trinitarian says... There's only one God... Here's how he preaches it. He says there is only one God... But ladies and gentlemen, when an apostolic preaches, there's only one God, he says there's only one God. Because not only is there one God, but God is one. A mediator is not a mediator of one. What does that mean? A mediator of one what? What does a mediator mediate for? He mediates for persons or for people. So a mediator is not a mediator of one person. In other words, I can't mediate for Pastor Don Heyman. He's just one person. Even with the split personalities, it's useless to mediate for him. Just a joke, people. Lighten up. I like your Pastor. A mediator is not a mediator of one person, is implied. Not a mediator of one person, but God is one. So, whatever a mediator is not a mediator of, God is. A mediator is not a mediator of one person, but God is one person. Because whatever a mediator is not a mediator of, God is. Now, the first question is, how many is God? The answer to that question is, God is one. The second question that I want to ask tonight is, who is God? Since there is only one God, and that one God is one, who is the one God? Malachi 2.10 said, have we not all one Father, and have not one God created us? So the one God is the one Father. John 8, 41, Jesus said, You do the deeds of your Father. They say unto him, We be not born of fornication. For we have one Father, even God. So the one Father is the one God. 1 Corinthians 8, 6, But unto us there is but one God, the Father. Ephesians 4, 6 says, there is one God who is the one God. He is Father of all, above all, through all, and in you all. John 17, 3, Jesus praying to the Father says that they may know thee, the only true God. So question number one, how many is God? God is one. The second question is who is God? The answer to that is, the Father is God. So there's only one God, and that one God is the Father. So in other words, if you are God, you've got to be the Father. And if you are the Father, then you are God. There's no way that you can be God and not be the Father. When the Bible says that Jesus praying to the Father says, You are the only true God, the word only in the Greek is monos, which is where uh, we get the, uh, the theological term uh, monotheism or the belief in one God. But Thayer defines the word only or monos as this without a companion and he says that it may be declared to apply to some one person alone so that only the father is god so question number 1 how many is god god is one question number 2 who is god god is the father for only the father is god and if you are god you have got to be the father now we must ask Is Jesus God? For if there is only one God. And only the Father is God. If Jesus is God. Then he's got to be the Father. Now is Jesus God? Now prophecy says that Jesus is God. Jeremiah 17:9 says the heart is deceitful above all things desperately wicked who can know it? All right, the question is who can know the heart? The heart is deceitful above all things who can know it? The answer is in verse 10. I the Lord search the hearts and I try the reins even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. So who can know the heart that's desperately and deceitfully wicked? The answer is only the Lord can know the heart. Only You don't even know your own heart. Only God can know the heart. So whoever knows the heart must be the Lord God. And so we come to Revelation chapter 2 and verse 18. And the angel of the church of Thyatira said write. These things saith The Son of God. Anybody have any idea who the Son of God is? His name is Jesus. So these are the things saith the Son of God. Verse 23. And all the churches. The Son of God is saying this. And all the churches shall know that I am He which searcheth the reins and the hearts. And will give unto you everyone according to your works. Only Jehovah God knows the heart. And here comes Jesus saying that all the churches may know. That I am he which searcheth the hearts. And tries the reins. If that is not a claim to deity. On the part of Jesus Christ. Then pray tell what is. Zechariah 12.10 And Jehovah God says. I will pour upon the house of David. And upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem. The spirit of grace and of supplication. And they shall look upon me. Whom they have pierced. Jehovah said they shall look upon me. Whom they have pierced. Get this. And they shall mourn for him. As one that mourneth for his only begotten son. So when Jesus was crucified... John records and says, and again when they pierced Jesus with the sword. John said, and again another scripture saith, they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. It was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So Jehovah God in the Old Testament said, they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And when they do, they shall mourn for him. So when they pierce me, they're going to mourn for him. And when they mourn for him, it's going to be when they pierce me. In other words, what God was saying is the me is him and the him is me. Hallelujah. (sighs) Now Jesus is the father by plain statement. Isaiah 9, 6, for unto us a child is born, a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Jesus is God in John 20, 28. For Thomas, amen, said unto Jesus, you are my Lord and my God. There is epistolatory ascent to the deity of Jesus. There is Pauline ascent to the deity of Jesus. Romans 9, 5 in the ESV says, To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race according to the flesh is Christ who is God over all. Blessed forever. Paul again affirms the deity of Christ when he says in Colossians 2.9 For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead body. James affirms the deity of Jesus when he says in James chapter 2 and verse 1 My brethren have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ the Lord of glory with respect of persons james calls jesus the lord of glory surely no mere man could be deemed or called the lord of glory hallelujah jesus is declared to be god Jude calls Jesus God when he says to the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty dominion and power both now and forever we have Johanan ascent to the deity of Jesus whenever John the revelator penned the words in Revelation 1 and verse 8 when he began to say that Jesus said I am Alpha and Omega the beginning and the end Saith the Lord, which is which was and which is to come, the Almighty. How many glad you got a revelation today that Jesus is God? Ultimately, I think, I think the second greatest proof of the deity of Jesus Christ is the fact that he was worshipped. I think the ultimate proof of the deity of Christ was his own self-resurrection. The second greatest proof of the deity of Jesus Christ is that he was worshipped. Matthew 4, 9 says, And saith unto him, This is Satan to Jesus. All these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. So only the Lord thy God is to be worshipped and served. Only the Lord thy God is to be worshipped and served. In Scripture, when men attempted to worship angels, What did they do? They gave an angelic response. They picked them up and said, "Don't worship me." Whenever men were worshipped in Scripture, you remember the apostles. Whenever they were said to be mercurious and another god of the of the uh, of the ancient pagans, they said, "No, we're men of like passions, just as you are." That preach unto you that you should turn from these vanities unto the living God. So, when angels were worshipped, they gave the angelic response. And diverted worship to God. When men were worshipped, they gave the man response and diverted worship only to God. But when Jesus was worshipped, Jesus was worshipped by wise men in Matthew two eleven. A leper worshipped Jesus in Matthew eight and two. A ruler worshipped Jesus in Matthew nine eighteen. The disciples worshipped Jesus in Matthew fourteen thirty three. A woman of Cana worshipped Jesus in Matthew fifteen twenty five. The servant worshipped him in Matthew eighteen twenty six. A mother and her sons worshipped him in Matthew twenty twenty. In Mark five six, legion worshipped him. And John nine thirty eight, an ex blind man worshipped him. When angels were worshipped, they gave an angelic response. When men were worshipped, they gave the man response. But when lepers worshipped Jesus, he cleansed them. Legion worshiped Jesus, he delivered him. When blind men worshiped Jesus, he healed them. Let me run it past you one more time. When angels were worshiped, they gave the angelic response. When men were worshiped, they gave a man response. But when Jesus was worshiped, he gave a God response. Because Jesus was and is truly and very God. John seventeen six and Hebrews one four says he has God's name. Philippians two six says he has God's nature. Acts 20.28 20, says he has God's blood. John 4.24 says he has God's spirit. Hebrews 1.3 says he's God's image. John 1.14 says he's God's glory. Matthew 28.18 says he has God's power. Luke 11.20 says he has God's finger. Acts 20.28 20, says he has God's church. And in John 14.10 it says he does God's work. Surely, anybody with God's name, God's nature, God's blood, God's spirit, God's image, God's glory, God's power, God's finger, God's church, and God's works has got to be God. And if Jesus is in God, If Jesus isn't God, he deserves an Oscar. Because he's acting an awful lot like him. Now, you see, Jesus has God's nature. I'm sorry, Jesus has God's name. You see, it's one thing for you to steal someone's identity and take their name. You see, that's identity theft. At best, it's impersonation. But you see, in all the cases in America, in all the cases in the world of identity theft, while someone may steal your name, no one can ever take your nature, no one can ever take your blood, no one can ever take your image. If Jesus isn't God, it's the greatest case of identity theft in the history of the world. So not only did he take God's name, he said, I got God's nature. I got God's blood. I got God's image. So that now have yeah, from C.S. Lewis who in answer to the argument that Jesus is not God but he is merely a good man how many has ever heard that line of reasoning Jesus is a good man but he is in God and so C.S. Lewis postulates what he called a trilemma that said that Jesus can only be liar Lunatic or Lord? Meaning that Jesus claimed to be God, knew he was not God, therefore making him a liar. The second option is Jesus claimed to be God, thought he was God, but wasn't God. Making him a lunatic. And so, the only way you can handle the claims of Jesus to be deity is you have to say first of all he's a liar which keeps him from being a good man secondly he thinks he's God but isn't God making him a lunatic which still makes him untrustworthy as a good man so C.S. Lewis said there's only one other possible explanation to the deity of the claims of Christ a deity if he is not a liar if he is not lunatic he claimed to be Lord knew he was Lord and really was Lord I don't know about you today, but I refuse to believe that Jesus was liar. I refuse to believe Jesus was lunatic, but I choose to believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. Hallelujah. I'm running, I'm running out of time. Would you please be seated so I can get some necessary components out before it gets too late. I know that you have to go to work and I know that children have to get up for school tomorrow. And so I'm doing the best I can to hurry through this material. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5 says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Now, this is a prime argument on the part of trinitarians for the multiple person uh, concept of god for it says he was in the form of god yet he was equal with god and so the argument is you cannot have equality without two separate things to contrast and compare in other words His argument, the Trinitarian argument is, is that something cannot be equal with itself. You have to have two separate things to have equality. And so therefore, Jesus was not God the Father, but He was God. So as God, as having the nature of God, He's distinct from the Father, yet equal with God. So this is... The premise, part of the premise from which they argue multiple persons of God yet maintaining there is only one God. But what they desperately miss is the Old Testament background concerning equality with God. Let me help you out for just a moment. Isaiah 4-25 says, To whom then will you liken me? Or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? God said, who's like me? God said, who is my equal? 46 and 5, to whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we may be like. God said who's like me? Compare me if you will and you tell me who's like me and who is my equal. So twice God asked the question who is my equal and to whom is like me? And then it was finally in Isaiah 46 and 9 that God answered his own question and said remember the former things of old for I am God and there is none else I am God, get this and there is none like me who is like me or who is my equal God's question God's answer says there's nobody like me there's nobody equal to me so that if you ever find God's equal you haven't found someone else you found God himself So it is in the backdrop of Jehovah God saying, nobody is equal to me. How dare Paul stand in Philippians 2 and declare that Jesus is equal with God. Now, the term equality here, the term equal here is isos or isos in the Greek. It is used in Acts eleven seventeen, referring to the household of Cornelius and their baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the apostle says, For as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us. Or in one place he said, it's the same gift, the like gift that fell on us at the beginning. Yes. Now, he, Paul uses the same Greek word, esos, to say he gave them, that is the household of Cornelius, the like or the equal gift that he gave us at the day of Pentecost. Now, was Paul saying then, was he saying then, I'm sorry, this was Peter, was he saying then, That they received a different gift than what we received at the beginning, but they're pretty much the same They're, One is just as good as the other No, when he said they received the light gift Has fell on us at the beginning He was identifying the gift of Acts 10 As the same gift of Acts 2 And so when Paul says that Jesus is Isos with God He wasn't saying he's a different God He was identifying the Jesus of Philippians 2 As the God of Isaiah 46 Because... So, now, let me give you an example where equality is not comparison or contrast, but is in itself identity. Whenever something has exclusive attributes, attributes of exclusivity, then its equal identifies itself. For example, if a man has a previous uh, uh, criminal record... And his fingerprints and his DNA is in the database at police headquarters. And he breaks into someone's home. And a burglarizes the home and does whatever. Commits a horrible crime. Maybe even murders the individual who lives at the home. Now when crime scene investigation gets to the scene of the crime. And they lift the fingerprint. While they still have it at the crime scene. It is an unknown Fingerprint, or it is a fingerprint to an unknown perp. But if when they run that fingerprint from the crime scene through police database, if the fingerprint and the DNA at the crime scene equals a fingerprint in the database, it identifies the perp at the crime scene. As the man in the database. So here equality is identity. Because no one else has a fingerprint like me. And my fingerprint is somewhere. It identifies that person as me. Because equality is a term in this case of identity. Now that's why in Luke eleven twenty, Jesus said. But if I with the finger of God. Out devils, in other words, when you run the fingerprint of God through the database of scripture, you're always gonna come up with Jesus because Jesus truly is equal with God. In this case, equality is identity. For if now Now, you know, we often preach about the goodness of Jesus. Let me preach to the young people for just a minute, and then I will proceed hurriedly to my final point. We often preach about the goodness of Jesus. But may I suggest to you, I'm going to preach to you today about the badness of Jesus. Isaiah 35 and 4 said that he would come. Daniel 9, 25 through 9, uh, 26 tells specifically when he would come. Daniel said until Messiah the Prince is X amount of years. Isaiah seven fourteen says how he would come. Said he would be born of a virgin. Micah 5 and verse 2 says where Jesus would come. For out of thee, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, shall come forth he whose goings forth hath been from old, from everlasting to everlasting. Now get this. God through eternal prophecy said that he would come. He said when he would come. He said how he would come. He said where he would come. Now, if I'm playing basketball with one of you young gentlemen and I score on you, That means I'm good. But if I tell you I'm going to run around to the right, then I'm going to spin back to the left and do a fading jump shot, and then I score, I ain't good, I'm bad. When Jesus came, he didn't sneak up on the devil's blind side. He said, I'm coming. Here's where I'm coming. Here's how I'm coming. Here's when I'm coming. And the devil showed up on the spot, and he still couldn't stop him. Jesus ain't good. He's bad. we put the image of the pastor back up on the screen there was an image of the oh hallelujah <laughs> happy birthday brother haman <sighs> so the bible says in hebrews 1 3 god who at sundry times and divers manners are speaking to the fathers by the prophets having these last days spoken unto us By his Son, through whom also he made the world, who being the brightness of his glory, that is, the Son is the brightness of the Father's glory, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, that is, the Father's person. Now, I'm gonna run this past you fast. Hold on, I hope you get it. The Bible said that the Son is the image of the Father's person. So the Son is the image. And the Father is the person. The Son is the image of the person. So the reverse must also be true. The Father is the person of the image. If the Son is the Father's person or image, then the Father must be the Son's person. So that What you have is one image and one person. Can anybody tell me who this is on the screen up there? That's not Brother Haman. That's his image. You see, this is Brother Haman. That is the image of the person, but this is the person of the image. You see, the son is the image of the person, but the pastor is is the person of the image, but when you identify the image, you have identified the person. So that when you say that the Son is the image of the Father's person, when you identify the image, you have identified the person. That's what Jesus could say, when you have seen me, you have seen the Father. one more quick one and I'm done one more and I'm done Matthew 21 1-7 says that Jesus comes right into Jerusalem and he tells them go over to the village over against you he said there you're going to find an ass tied and a colt with her Jesus said loose them the ass and the colt and bring them unto me In verse 6, the Bible said, Then the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. Verse 7, And they brought the ass and the colt and put on them their clothes. Get this. And they set him on them. So, they set the one man, Jesus, on both an ass and a colt. The question now becomes... Why does the one man Jesus need two animals to ride into Jerusalem? Well,
1: you don't need to tell me. Jesus
0: is hooking it up PBR style. <laughs> he's going into Jerusalem riding bareback. He's got one foot on one animal, he's got one leg on the other one, and Jesus is hooking it up PBR style. No, that ain't what Jesus is doing. Now, what's the image here? Judges 5 and 10 says, Speak, ye that ride on white asses, ye that sit in judgment, and walk by the way. So they that ride on white asses sit in judgment. It is said by by Matthew Henry, yet some here think that he had the eye to the custom in Israel for judges to ride upon white asses. So in the Old Testament, the judges rode asses. Judges 10 and verse 3. The Bible said, After him arose Jair, a Gileadite, and judged Israel twenty and two years. And he had thirty sons that rode on thirty colts. Now he was a judge. According to Judges 5.10, Judges ride asses. But here, the Judges' sons ride colts. Judges 12 and 3 says, And after him arose Abdon, the son of Heliel, the, the Parathonite, and judged Israel. And he had forty sons. That rode upon colts. So the judges according to Judges 5.10. Ride the asses. Two verses. Judges 10 and Judges 12. Said that their sons ride the colts. So if the father rides the ass. And the son rides the colt. Jesus was the only man in history. That needed both. I don't know about you today, but I thank God that I got the revelation that Jesus was more than just a man, but Jesus was, is, and always will be the Almighty God.
2: Come on, if you're glad you know who Jesus is, you ought to be on your feet. Come on, church, let's stand together and let's worship the Father. Come on, let's worship the Son. Let's worship the Holy Ghost. Oh, Hallelujah. Aren't you glad you know who Jesus is tonight? Oh, praise God. I tell you, there is none like Him. No one like Jesus. No one like Jesus. Oh, come on, somebody. I want you to think about the goodness and the badness of Jesus. Wow, Wow, our God. What He's done for us. Wow, I'm blessed to know that Jesus Christ is everything He said He is. He's everything the Word of God promised He would be. And I'm not confused about spending one-third of my time praying to the Father, a third praying to the Son, a third praying to the Holy Ghost. If you ever were, it's over now. And I would like to invite you to refer your friends, strangers, family who have no idea about this oneness message and there are a lot of people in the world today who just are confused. That's been a big strategy of the enemy. To keep people confused and keep the whole Godhead thing watered down. Keep it confused and keep it manipulated. And keep it from being cut and dry. But have you ever heard it so cut and dry? Let's remember May 3rd, 2011. As a archived service. To refer people back to. To listen or to watch on our website. And to settle in their hearts and their minds. That there is no such thing anywhere in the Word of God as a triune God. He is one. And I'm going to ask Brother Carol to print out all those scriptures he used tonight, and we're going to see if we can't spread them out through the next school year and get our students to memorize those scriptures. And then we'll get you back to preach at the end of next school year and have the whole school shouting around this place because they'll be having those scriptures memorized. Wow. The kids are sitting here going,
1: "Uh."
2: We know how to parse it out in bite sizes, kids. You know that. But I am just thankful that I was here to hear this message. I'm so glad every one of you were here. Anybody watching online, I'm so glad you were here. What a great message to hear tonight. And a great note to leave this meeting on. Amen. Praise the Lord. Have we had a good time the last four services? We have been enriched. It feels like we've been to Bible college. We have studied. We have been blessed by a very studied man of God who knows how to just lay down line by line and build a case. So we were talking, around, talking about around the dinner table tonight. He, brother, brother Carol could have been a good lawyer just to lay down the facts one by one and then just step away from the, the, from the podium and say... I rest my case. Isn't that the way you feel right now tonight? I hope you feel that way. If you don't, run home and watch this again tonight. I rest my case because I'm glad I know who Jesus is. Praise the Lord. He's more than just a story, He is the King of glory. I'm glad I know. If you're really glad, why don't you lift a hand right now? Let's let Him know, Jesus, we're so glad. That you're not shrouded in mystery. Lord, we're so glad that your identity is not shrouded in, Lord, in things that are so confusing. But not at all, Lord. We see it clearly tonight. Praise you, Jesus, for the one true God and the truth that is so simple. I'm so glad, Lord, for the promise you gave us that we would know the truth. And the truth would set us free. So we leave here tonight with freedom in our hearts. Freedom in our minds and freedom in our spirits, Jesus. And I say, get thee behind me, devil. We know where we stand. We know who we are, and we know whom we have believed. Praise God. Hallelujah. How about it, church? How about praise to the only living God? Praise to the only living God. Can we sing that song tonight? I wonder if I get some helpers on the platform to sing praise to the only living God. Y'all know that song, hallelujah, hallelujah, we praise your name. Remember that? Come on, church. I know y'all I know it's getting a little on the late side, but I think we ought to put our hands together and just have us a little praise and worship. Come on, team. Y'all ought to be on the platform right now. Help us out. Praise God. Hallelujah. Come on, praise team. Help me out. Are you great singers? We love that song. Amen. I want y'all to help me with this. Aren't you glad you know who Jesus is? Praise God. Hallelujah so glad I know who Jesus is come on let's put our hands together play those ten stringed instruments tonight amen if you'd like to come up and worship in this altar you're more than welcome come on up and praise him we're gonna wrap this service up in brand style tonight hallelujah we praise your name come on let's sing yeah. come on sing now holy, I wish everybody holy. would sing it come on, it's on the screen father you are
1: holy hey, there is no one else like Did you like get down tonight? I heard it. Yeah. Faithful, faithful, faithful. Father, you are faithful. We have put our trust in you. Who is he now? Our god
2: side. Together, together, together. Come on, let's praise His name. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name together. Praise God. I'm so glad to know the Father in creation is the Son in redemption, who is the Holy Ghost in recreation? creation. Praise God. We are new creatures, new creatures in Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord Hallelujah Let's carry this praise and worship And revelation momentum right on through the week We look forward to seeing you back here Ladies, I think you have a function on Friday night Don't forget about that Saturday seems to be a free day Except for there is a lot of practices Around here for music ministry And then Sunday Everybody know who's coming on Sunday To be our guest speaker Everybody raise your hand if you know Brother Joseph Conroy Missionary to Germany and about to start a brand new work in Jerusalem. Brother Joseph Conroy is such an incredible man of God. What a preacher and a teacher and storyteller extraordinaire. He knows how to share his experiences, his travels, and the work of God in a very special, special way. So I want you to be challenged and be sure that you have done your part. To get somebody to come with you on this weekend. He's also gonna be preaching for us on Tuesday night. So we're just in for a great time as the Lord lets revival continue among us. I'd like to see some baptisms this weekend. The church that he just left last weekend had baptisms when he left Uh, the weekend he was there. So I'm believing the Lord's gonna let baptisms go right along with his ministry while he's with us on this coming weekend. So let's do our part, be sure. If you're teaching a home Bible study, If you're teaching a home Bible study, make sure you get your students to just break away from the study this week and come on to church and be with us this coming Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Tuesday. In Jesus' name. Now, don't forget the meetings that are supposed to be held right now. Brother Ray Cuellar, as my representative, is meeting with the parents of uh, youth retreat attendees. And that's 25 and under, so if you're above 18, then uh, you ought to be in that meeting as well. Parents, if you're interested and your kids are above 18, you just visit as well. But um, also there is a meeting with Brother Hammond and all of those who are participating in the Mother's Day Day, uh, production, which I believe Brother Hammond is putting together. Mother's Day, of course, is this coming Sunday as well. Don't want anything to overshadow that. We appreciate the mothers of Calvary Apostolic Church so very much. Praise the Lord. Jesus' name. I'm going to ask my dad, Elder Heyman, would you just help us out by dismissing service tonight in our prayer? And we're going, to, we're going to just deliver you into the hands of the Lord.
3: I don't know much about basketball, but I think when they make a hoop or make a point, people jump and shout. When they make, in the football, when they make that goal post, people jump and shout. Folks, we've had a lot of touchdowns here tonight. I mean, touchdown after touchdown after touchdown, we ought to have been on our feet just doing a a shout of praise and magnifying the Lord. When Brother Carroll comes again, he can preach every one of those sermons just like he did this time. And we'll enjoy it just like we did this time even a little bit more. Amen. Our hearts rejoice. Let's look to the Lord. Father, keep your loving hand on us as we leave this place. Lord, protect us, and I pray your blessing on those who are bereaved. We remember the church in Hutchinson, Kansas. We remember the elder family. We remember the church in Hutchinson, Lord. ask you to comfort them and keep your hand upon us all, Lord, till we gather again in the house of God. Bless our coming evangelist. Give him safe passage as he comes our way and make him a real blessing to us And us a blessing to him in Jesus' name. Everybody shout, amen. 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 God bless you. Go with God.